My name's Christian, for those that don't know me, um, and um, I will be giving the message today. So um, let's see what happens then. Could be fun. Might not be. Who knows? There is chocolate to be won today. Hey, we brought the chocolate back. The fruit of the, the, fruit of the spirit chocolate, I think this is again, so we'll see what's going on with that. Um, and uh, so that's good. Actually, um, I, could, I could start with that, actually. We'll start with this, just to hook you in. Um, we started a series last week, and do you remember what the series is about? <laughs> Hands up. Oh, Josh, you're straight there. People of the Bible, have yourself a bar of chocolate, Josh. Give a round of applause. Actually, it's not a fruit of the spirit, this. Apologies. It's the Queen's 70th anniversary bit. There we are. You can still have it. I'm sure it's just as tasty. Might, might be nicer. I don't know. But there we go. So I'm going to begin with a question. Um, and um, the question is this. Why on earth should we have pain? I mean, wouldn't life be better without it? Yes. yes. Yeah, we're all right with that. Yeah, everyone good with that. Brilliant, there. Um, a second question. Are you... <laughs> don't look at me like that, please. Are you having to deal with anybody in your life at the moment that is particularly irritating? No comment. No comment. Interesting. I'm not after names. I was just after... It's just a question. Anyone in your life that you find it particularly irritating right now? I hope, I hope, oh really, oh dear. We are actually now naming people, and it's not good. Uh, what wasn't there? Um, I, the answer is good. Actually, it's good. If you have got someone in your life that's irritating, that's a good thing, weirdly. And we're going to have a little bit of a, an answer to that question. And why pain is also an interesting question, because uh, we will go into that in a second. Today, um, as our person in the Bible looking at Jacob, I've entitled that everybody hurts. Um, we will not play REM at this particular point. Uh, I, I know, but we get kicked off with YouTube straight away. Um, but there we are. So I'm going to, we'll go back to what Beth was looking at last week, which was Moses. So she looked at uh, Moses and she actually read this scripture. I'm going to start with this, which says the following. Uh, this is God speaking to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus 3, verse 6. And then he, that's God, said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, that title that God gives himself there runs right the way through the Bible. Okay? He never calls himself the God of Moses. He never calls himself the God of anything. He's always the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So you'll even see Jesus say this when he's talking to the Sadducees about the resurrection. He says he's the God of, Isaac, he's God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It keeps on coming up again and again and again. So it's obviously important. If it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible for a reason. And so there's got to be a reason why he keeps on bringing this up again and again and again as his big task. Now, I know, obviously, God's got a lot of names, um, but this is one of the ones which seem to recur all the way through. And it's fascinating when you start looking at it. We could do like a whole series just on that. But I, briefly, Abraham was an unrighteous man. I don't know if you're aware of this. He wasn't, he wasn't picked because he was a good guy. He, he, was, he had idols in his house. He, was, he, he, had a, he wasn't a great guy. But God still chose him. He was an unrighteous man. And he was chosen to be the father of all nations. Okay, so for those who are unaware of that, that was what his, that was what his calling was. He was going to be the father of all nations in this. But he was just a man and an unrighteous one at that until God called him. And he was not a nation, certainly at this point. 
And it's the same with Isaac. You look at Isaac, Isaac was just a man at this particular point. So that's the same there. Same with Jacob. Jacob was just a man. But then, partway through Jacob's story, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, which is a nation. And there is something fascinating to be learned through the story of Jacob that we can all get a hold of today. So let's explore a little bit. Now, if I had a lot of time, I would go into what this slide is all about here. If you're really interested, Watchman Need has a book on this called Changed Into His Likeness. Um, and, um, and it goes to the whole Isaac, Iron, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob thing. But if we just put up the slide, Abraham is, is the whole kind of I am in Christ. It's the start of it all. I am in Christ. Isaac is the Christ is in me, and Jacob is Christ is being worked in me. Okay, or Christ is being formed in me. And it's all kind of summed up a little bit in Galatians 2.20, where it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Marvelous verse. A really, really, really good verse in the Bible. And it actually sums up a lot of what's taking place with this. Now, we go back to Abraham briefly because Abraham is the point at which we're saved. So it's almost like the maturity of a Christian walk taking place here. Abraham is the point in which salvation comes because Abraham believed God. Now, remember, that's how he became righteous. Yes? Do you remember that? That's how he becomes righteous. He was made righteous by faith. Not by doing anything amazing. Not by going away and, and doing loads and loads of good works. He was made right with God by faith. And for us, that's exactly the same. We're made right by trusting in Jesus. We're made right with God by, our, we get our, our salvation, in fact, by trusting in Jesus. That he's wiped away every single sin. That he wipes away everything that stands in the way between us and God. That that's what Jesus has done for us. And so we are made right with God. Not because I'm good. Not because you're good, but because Jesus was good and because Jesus did everything that was needed at the cross. And that really is the, the whole message as, we, as you look at Abraham. Now, I'm not going to go into that because it's Jacob, which we can learn a lot from for today. And I want to talk about Jacob more than anything. But I need to give you the backdrop between the others before we go any further. So... You've got in there Abraham being one nation, sorry, Abraham as he was. Isaac's the promised son. I don't know if you've seen any parallels in this at all. But Abraham, Abraham is the father. Isaac's the promised son. And then Jacob comes along. Jacob, for those who are not aware, is the grandson of Abraham. So that's how the, the line's going down. Okay? So in Genesis 25, 23, Jacob gets a call. All right? So his mum's um, Rebecca. And there are two nations in your womb. It's what it says. To, it's what God says to Rebecca. And the two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So there's this call on Jacob. In me, in me, well, the younger one, whoever was going to be born last, was going to be the one which had the birthright, the one that had the blessing, the one that had everything, was going to go to the second born which is unusual in those days because it's usually the firstborn. And the firstborn in those days would have got a double portion of the inheritance, would have got the blessing, would have got the lots, which is great. Well, not the lot, but a lot more than the one afterwards. That's the call. Now, you need to keep that in your mind at this point. That's his call. That's, his, that's what's, what Jacob has been given straight off. All right? That's what he has. Now, he's got that. 
But he doesn't take it on board. He doesn't believe it because all throughout the story of the little schemer, he's trying to earn his birthright. All throughout it, if you know this story, he's trying to get, he's, he's, even at, at, at the womb, he's dragging on to Esau's heel, trying to yank him back if such a thing is possible. All right? And then all throughout, you've got these little bits where um, Esau comes in from hunting game and he's all tired out and he's all hungry and uh, Jacob's cooking some stew. And he's there and he says, oh, I'm really, really hungry, give me some of your stew. And he says, well, sell me your birthright. And, and so he does. And, and so he, all the way he's conniving and he's trying to be clever and he's trying to be working his way to getting what is already his. He's already got this, but he keeps on trying to connive his way to get it. And then finally, on, as Isaac's about to die, he goes, I'm going to give my blessing now to you, Esau. And Jacob steals it right at the end by giving himself hairy hands it's a great story, um, and uh, if uh, you've not read it yet, then have a, look, have a look at it there. The voice of Jacob at the hands of Esau. Wonderful. Anyway, all the way through, Jacob doesn't need to be trying. He needs to be trusting. All the way through, he's trying to get what's already his. All the way through, he's trying and he's striving through his own schemes, his own natural abilities, he's pumping away at trying to get what God's already given him. And at this point here, he makes it much worse because Esau wants to kill him, so he has to run away, and that's not particularly a good situation. He then goes through years of pain, and I mean years. So he goes to his Laban, his, his, the household of his relatives, and basically meets the woman of his dreams, that's nice. Imagine the, the spouse of your dreams at this particular point. Okay, you may already be married to them. All right, and he, he sees them, and Laban said, well, you can work for them. Work for them for seven years, and I'll give them to you there. That's nice, isn't it? Nice little, nice little part. Um, and, he, and he works for seven years, and then he finds out that actually he's been cheating himself, which is only natural, you know, what you reap, what you sow, don't you, at the end of the day. Um, and he gets Princess Leia instead, okay? <laughs> It's not really, but you know. So he gets her, <laughs> as you do, um, and then he goes, well, you know, you can, you can have the other one as well. We'll throw in two for the price of one, but it's not really for the price of one because he has to work another seven years to get both wives. Now, before I go any further, we don't, we don't advocate two wives um, in this church, okay? <laughs> I wouldn't even say it's frowned upon. It's just out. Just, you know, just leave it. But, um, but, yeah, it causes him issues. Two wives is not good for him because the, the more pain comes with it because they get jealous with each other and they're arguing with each other. And, and all along, he's not happy. He's had to put up with injustices. He's had to put up with a lot more work than he was he's used to. And, and so it's, it's, it's daily struggles. But God uses daily struggles to chip off us our hard edges. All right? And this is the message of Jacob more than anything, that bit by bit by bit, he's being transformed by the inside, from the inside out because he's having to go through so much junk, so much rubbish, so much suffering. And we kind of push past this a lot of the time. And we go, oh, Christianity is great. It's all full of this and that and the other. But actually, the blessings that you look at with Abraham and Isaac, Jacob tries to earn them, and all along, actually, that's what's causing Meiji the, the, the big issues with all of it. And the suffering and the struggles that he goes through are creating within him something far, far greater than he can possibly imagine. 
Um, so as he goes through, we, we, we continue going through it. Finally, he goes home. Finally, he starts to let God in. He wasn't even praying much beforehand. Um, uh, Genesis 32, 9 says, then Jacob prayed. It's probably like the second time this guy's actually prayed. Um, and then he finally starts to let him through. All the years of trial start to bring him to a place where he recognizes he needs God. All of that is starting to chip away. If we think we can do it by ourselves, we will do it by ourselves, won't we? No? I suppose it depends if you're lazy or not, actually. <laughs> um, if you think you've got the ability to do it yourself, you generally will do it yourself. You won't pray about something that you think you can do. No. Yeah, some of you are thinking, yes, I do pray about everything, that's great. But in our hearts, we pray a lot more when we realize we need God's help. And then we get to this point of the story where he wrest- it's called wrestling with God. It's an interesting bit, um, and we will read this out, this passage. Genesis 32, verses 24 to 30, says the following. Jacob all, uh, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. So he's coming home now at this point, and Esau's coming against him with about 400 men. And remember, last time, Esau hated him and wanted him dead. So he's a bit worried at this point. A man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now, that sounds a bit strange, that little bit at the end there, but we'll go into it in a second. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. There are two massive points from this story that I want to bring out. Number one is that he's gone through this massive point of suffering, okay? He's weakened, actually, because of this. Romans 8, 18, which won't come up, says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Sufferings create within us a glory. 2 Corinthians 4 says exactly the same. There's sufferings. We, we read it, we almost gloss over it when we get to the word suffering in the New Testament. I don't want to think about it. But sufferings create within us a strength, a resilience, a glory that comes from God that is eternal and goes on and on and on forever. And it was at this moment, at this moment of this story that Jacob is humbled. From this moment, from this point, he's a changed man. From this moment, he's weaker in himself, and the result is that he's quicker to go to God. The result is that he's quicker to pray. The result is that he's now in a place where God can demonstrate his power through him rather than him looking good and great all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah? And it's it's this whole thing now where he's going, it's God or nothing now, because I, I used to do it all myself. It pushed him to draw more from God. It pushed him to a place where there was a far degree of glory, and that lasted for eternity. 
There's something in our sufferings that create in us a glory. There's something in our sufferings that causes us to go to God far, far more than we ever used to do. There's something as we suffer, that as we go through daily afflictions, it doesn't matter what they are, which causes us to therefore go to Jesus again and again and again and seek God out because we need him. And the other thing that comes from this is that he sees the face of God, which again is quite amazing. In um, 2 Corinthians 3, it says that we with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory. Unveiled face, contemplate the Lord's glory. We are transformed into his image. Transform again. So you got transformed by being in suffering, you got transformed by face to face. Now, we would all go, oh, yes, I don't mind seeking God's face. I don't mind intimacy with God. That's great. That's the nice bit. But the suffering bit seems to go hand in hand. The suffering bit seems to work out together. The afflictions, the daily afflictions, I'm not talking about like the worst, worst, worst thing that can ever happen. A lot of the time, it's just people irritating you, which is why I started with that, yes? I used to, I used to work in a place where, where there was a guy... Um, and I can still see him now, bless his heart. He used to drink a can of Coke or whatever it was every single day, um, throughout, all throughout, and he had his foot on the bin while he worked. I think he had his um, keyboard down there. And he'd belch all throughout the day. And he, I remember just all throughout. And I was quite a patient person back in those days. But after a while, I just got... Do you know when so, you get annoyed after a while and someone keeps on doing something again and again and again? Glucose down more coke, Blap, like this, and then carry on. I know what you think. Carry, carry on. You carry on like this, Blap, and again and again and again, all throughout the day. And and it gets to a point about say it was about half past four, and I'd be thinking, I've just about made the day. I've made the day, and he's just, I've just about made the day. But I am fuming with this guy. I cannot bear it. And then a few months into it, it hit half past nine. Half past nine in the morning, and he guzzled and he burped, and I'm already wanting to kill the man. I'm already in this place. I've lost it completely. You know, talk about weakened. I had nothing left. This guy's just been chiseling. He, he found all my buttons, and he was just pressing buttons every time he could. And all he was doing was burping. It wasn't exactly difficult, but I was like, I'm so mad with him. He, you're trying to get on with your work and answer the phone or whatever it was. Blah, every single moment, he's pressing my buttons, and I just, I've had it. with. I completely and utterly had it with him. And I remember just at that moment going, to, Jesus, I need you, because if you do not show up right now, I have no idea what I am going to do to him. And the most amazing peace flooded me, and the most amazing, and I, was, I, I went, and I, I'm, I'm not lying to you, I went from no patience whatsoever to a supernatural unlimited patience at that moment. He could burp then for as long as he jolly well wanted. It didn't actually affect me. And it was all on this, what I would call this moment, where I was weakened, and it struggled, it struggled and suffered. And then at that point, I went to God. And it's those points, it's those points in our lives where we hit the, the end of ourselves, where we hit the very end of our natural abilities, the, our natural energy, our natural everything, and we say, Jesus, I need you. And you can't manufacture that. That is not something where you go, this is a very good message. I really need to pray more. It's not that message. 
It's a message that when you feel that you can't do it anymore, that's when you really need to start seeking Jesus. That's when you need him, okay? So if you're in any of that right now, you know those people that you said straight away went, yeah, there's somebody irritating me. Well, there is a solution to that because that's what's happening. Bit by bit by bit, we are being weakened from the inside out and we need Jesus to bring in his supernatural strength to overcome that which we can no longer do by ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah? It is a very, very, very important part of our Christian growth. It's a really, really important part because I think what we naturally tend to think is that, and I definitely thought like this, when I became a Christian, I'll just become more, I'll become better and better now. I'll become more and more loving. I'll become more and more patient. I'll become more and more peaceful, blah, blah, blah. And it didn't happen. What happened was the reverse a lot of the time. <laughs> and, and actually what it is is God's taking us to a place more and more where he exposes what we can't do. Yeah? What we're not able to do by ourselves. He takes us to a place where he goes, you thought you could do this, but actually you need me here. And when you've got me here, you'll be able to do so much more than you thought you could anyway. Okay? And that there is something I want you to get a hold of. I want us all to get a hold of it. I'm still going through it. The, the, the suffering and the struggle and the seeking God's face created an inward transformation. We can't separate them out and go, well, we'll just do one and not have the other. They create that thing where we become more like Jesus and we have more of his glory on the inside. And that's right the way through the New Testament you'll see that. Interestingly, the greater the persecution a person suffers from, the harder the afflictions they go through, the more they live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Did you know that? In the, in the countries where they have the greatest persecution, they, the, the, the Christians there live so, so much more on for Jesus. There's less kind of like, do you know what, we'll just do what we want. And, and they're, they're far more, well, it's, you know, if I'm going to have to pay this cost of being a Christian, if, if I'm going to be under death threats, it's, it's Jesus or nothing. And, and they're very, very, very much like that. It's easy lives, which we all want, don't help. It, it's fascinating. And a lot of the time we think, you know, if we could have an easier life, we'd be happier. But it doesn't work that way. And it's actually completely different. So, this has applications in all sorts of ways. Applications with your relationship with God. If you're finding it difficult to pray, if you're finding it difficult to get into his word, to listen to him, then it's not about trying to get yourself going. It's not about trying to soup up your natural strength and get yourself in the zone or anything like that. It's a case of saying to God and being honest with him and saying, I can't do it, but I need your, your strength. I need you. I need your passion. I need your love. love. When Jesus gave the greatest command to love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, that definition of love is one out of choice. It's one of the will. It's not one of how good do you feel about God today. All right? So if I said to you, how much do you love God? If your natural thing was to say, well, I feel really close to him today, so I love him loads, that's not what Jesus was getting at. He's getting at obedience, effectively. How much are you obeying him right now? That's your measure. That's our spiritual gauge on how much we love him. And that is where, that's a massive point in how things go. It's the Holy Spirit that works in us and forms and grows the love for God. And that 
is only happening as we go to him. So, the fruit of all of this. Jacob gets renamed to be Israel. Now, this is huge because it's here that you see the true calling all along. As I said at the start, Abraham was, a na- was not a nation. He was a person. Isaac was a person. These were important people. But then you get to Jacob, and Jacob gets a true calling of being the nation of Israel. He goes through all of these afflictions. He goes through all of this suffering. He goes through absolutely everything. And all of a sudden, he's pursuing God's calling, but not because he wants it, not because it suits him like it did at the start, but now he wants it because it means something to God. He's transformed from inside out. And God knows it, and God knows he can use him. And to create a nation from this one man is exactly what happens. But it only happens when Jacob comes to a place where he goes, I can't do this anymore. I thought I could, but now I've realized that it's you that needs to be working through me. Um, I once, uh, I don't know if I told you this here actually before. I mean, this was years ago, but... um, so the, people, the, people in, the person in question doesn't count. But when I first started preaching, um, I, I, it, was, it was great. I used to love it. I used to absolutely love it. I'd come up, I'd go off the stage, and, and I'd, be, I'd preach, and um, people afterwards would be saying, oh, it was really good. I really, I really enjoyed it. got loads out of it. You know, people, I think I got a round of applause the first time I did it. You know, people were really, people were really happy with it, you know. And then, and so I enjoyed, I loved it. I thought, this is great. I'd get loads of spiritual revelation out of the Bible. I'd preach it out. People would go, yeah, this is great. And then I'd get down off the, off the stage and people would go, oh, yeah, really, really good, really, really good. And then I did one. And I remember thinking, that was my best ever preach. I've never preached like that. That was really good. And I got a sort of thing. No one said a thing. Now, there's levels of feedback you can get when you preach. The first one, if people say it was really good, it means it was good. If people say it was good, it means it was okay. If people say, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was okay, yeah, uh, it means it was bad. That was a bad. <laughs> if people say nothing, it's dire. <laughs> it's really dire. So I got off the stage, and I'm like, man, no one said nothing. What's going on here? What's, what's all this? The worst part of all of it was that one of the leaders at the time, he was long gone, don't worry, but one of the leaders at the time looked at me and gave me a death stare. <laughs> he just looked at me as if, like, you just killed the church with that preacher. <laughs> and I was, I was absolutely killed by it. I really was. And so I got, um, I got into a, uh, a, a bit of a stay with it, I think. But I realized afterwards, and it took probably several months of, of working this through, that I was preaching from the wrong motive. I was preaching because I enjoyed it. I was preaching because it was something that I got a lot out of. And the next time I went up to preach, I didn't really enjoy it that much. It was okay. It was all right. But the motive was about God at that point. The motive is, is he being glorified in what I'm doing? Is his kingdom being built? Is what I am trying to do here fulfilling what he's calling me to do? Is his kingdom coming? Is his will being done? Those were my criteria all of a sudden. So I'd get down off the stage then, and I'd go, right, God, what did you think then? And I wouldn't even be listening to people. So you might be all thinking, well, that was, this is a, the worst preach I've ever heard. But it doesn't matter. It honestly doesn't matter because the point is, is, is God's kingdom coming right now? Is it, is it changing people from the inside out? You may, you may, some of you do look at, you're looking at me right now thinking, it is the worst preach. But it doesn't matter, honestly. <laughs> 
It's fine. It's fine. I'm all right with it. Because it's whether God thinks it's all right. And that's the important thing, isn't it? Yeah, it has to be the important thing. And so as life goes on, as we go on, it's all, it all has to be more about glorifying Jesus. And that there became a point where I would say I became weakened on the inside. I became much more like, yeah, I need to make sure that this is coming through from that perspective where I am looking to glorify Jesus. So when we go through seasons of pain, when we go through pain and trouble and we're faced with a choice, and we always will be, do we turn away from church? Do we turn away from Jesus? Do we harden our hearts to him? Do we actually look to blame him or do we turn to Jesus for help? And that happens Every single time there's affliction, every single time there's pain, we can choose to harden off or we can choose to go to him. The apostles, when they were put in prison the first time, they were chained up in the dark, would have been smelly and horrible. They sang songs to God. They glorified God and their chains were just fell off them. They chose to go to him. I've seen other people um, who have, you know, their lives have just collapsed around them and they've been Christians and they've gone, there is no God anymore. It varies. Everybody has to make a choice in that moment. But if you're around the right people, then they'll be able to support you through the times of affliction and the times of pain. And that's really, really crucial. But the message of Jacob can be summed up. If you switched off, switch back on again. We'll get it back into this moment here. It's a move from independent living to relying on Jesus. So it's a move where we're going away from struggling and striving with our own strength, with our own cleverness, with our own status. It's going from that trying to trusting God to move through us. It's where we ask Jesus for the wisdom to navigate with our jobs, with our families, with our finances. It's where we ask God to move in power and to do things that only he can do and watch Jesus achieve far more through us than we ever could by ourselves. Jacob became Israel, a nation. That would never have been on his thought pattern when he first got born. He would never have been like, well, this is what I want. That was God's vision for his life. And how much did that change the whole of history at that point? How much more can a nation achieve for God than a person? Think about that. How much can the seeds that you sow out with your lives, surrendered to God, achieve for him? By relying on God, Jacob's fruit was tremendous, wasn't it? Yeah? So here's a huge key for us as a church. We are a church, as I keep on mentioning, that desires to love God, love others, save souls, make disciples. This is what we aim for every single time. But the key is rooting down in Christ. Always will be, always has to be. It's relying on his strength, his power to do this. It is seeking him in prayer that true growth happens. Is that right? Yeah. And it can only ever come as we draw from him. And all the glory goes to God. Are we all mending that? Yeah. Good. All right. That is nice. So, do we have to have pain and affliction? No. <laughs> 
You don't sound happy about that. It's useful. It's useful. Um, and it just as we go through Romans 5.3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our hope of salvation. There's a lot that happens as we go through difficult times. There's a lot in us that happens as we go through difficult times. And we're not to run from them, but we're to seek God in those times and allow him to minister his grace, minister his peace, minister everything that we need to get through those difficult times.